just for you to, um, to feel the message more than follow it on a piece of paper, if that makes sense. So that's, that's the reason for no notes. But you should have, please have a bulletin. And on the back portion of that are some notes. We still want you to, as the Lord reveals something to you, jot it down, write it down, and you can go back and visit that again because um, it might be helpful. Do y'all remember supersized meals at McDonald's? If you, if you were uh, like me in my high school years and I had a, a rocket-fast metabolism, I was supersizing everything. And, and I would finish my supersized fries and my double quarter pounder with cheese and still be hungry. And so I started getting an extra hamburger because I was just always hungry. And so I would, I would supersize my supersized meal because it would always be something bigger but then toward, I think somewhere early 20s, my rocket metabolism crashed and grew a sweet tooth. <laughs> it wasn't so easy anymore to go supersizing. But that, that little concept I want us to think about a little bit. Let me just give you a little background. Supersizing was the brainchild of David Wallerstein, a McDonald's executive who worked for a chain of movie theaters in the 50s, 1950s and 60s. While working at the movie theaters, Wallerstein was tasked with boosting sales of popcorn and soda. Wallerstein discovered that it was very difficult to persuade customers to purchase more than one soda or more than one bag of popcorn because he suspected doing so might make people feel greedy or gluttonous. However, Wallerstein discovered that customers would pay more to purchase more up front. Although Ray Kroc was initially, he's the founder of McDonald's, was initially skeptical of Wallerstein's proposal to supersize McDonald's offerings, believing that people who wanted more fries would buy two bags. He eventually agreed to try Wallerstein's idea. The sales resulted, sales results led to the program being rolled out throughout all the McDonald's stores. When we, the key, I think, with supersizing a meal, remember, would you like to supersize that? And then you went to Burger King, would you like to king size that? When you went to Wendy's, would you like to biggie size that? Everybody else caught on. You have to, bigger was better. In order to have more pleasure, you needed to have more of it and have it now. But there was a key in, I think, David Wallerstein's thinking that went into the sales. He found that people would pay more for what they see up front. If it was a bigger size, well, sure, I'll take a little more. It doesn't make me feel like I'm buying two because then I'm not, I'm not splurging. I'm not being gluttonous. But if I just take a little extra, if I can see it, what happens? And you walked into all the McDonald's and they had the picture of, they didn't put the picture of the small bag of fries. They put the picture of the big, the, not big, that's Wendy's, the supersized fries. And so you saw that and people would be, begin to say, oh, it's more, I'll go ahead and pay for it. So they, I think the key in that is that they were seeing something, knowing they wanted it, so they went ahead and bought it. Well, I think that correlates a little bit to what we've been experiencing as a church the past few weeks, really, years, I might want to say. But taking into this series of the life we were meant to live, thinking about when we, when we ask God for things, we ask Him to show up, we ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we ask for healings, we ask for these things, and it seems as though we just ask for maybe, God, can I just read the Bible a little more this week? Can you, can you show up in that way in my life so I can feel a little better going to church, realizing that I was able to read the Bible every day maybe? Or prayer times being extended, or prayer times being vibrant. We're asking the Holy Spirit for these things. And it seems as though maybe we're not experiencing those things like we're asking. And I think it could be very difficult for us to then swap the mindset because now we're seeing what we're seeing and we're asking for, trying to see in the spirit. We're not seeing before us. And it kind of feels like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't see it. You know, in our YAP group this past Wednesday night, we I asked the question to the whole group is acts for today. And it's very easy for the whole group to say, well, sure, I believe that. But one of the ladies in the group said, you know, I believe Acts is for a day, but I have a very difficult time believing Acts is for me. And I said, thank you for that distinction, because there's the battleground. It's easy to look at somebody else and the gift that they serve in and say, oh, yeah, Acts is for you. I can see it's for you and I see it in operation and that's great and that's fine. But 
then I, I just I have a hard time in my life figuring out how his acts for me. And I think we're dealing with a battle with unbelief. Remember our, our Hebrews, gleanings through Hebrews that Keith took us through. And we were studying the fact that God's people, Israel, didn't inherit the promised land, not because they broke the commandments. It was because they had the sin of unbelief. That's why they weren't able to enter into God's rest in the promised land. So they had to wait. I wonder if our battle is one of unbelief. I have a growing concern for our teenagers in this church and for our young kids in this church. Kids, they're young. In that, they hear us say there's more to live for. But my concern is I don't know if they're seeing it. And so we, I think it's very critical because I think teenagers and younger, they're looking for us to set the example of what a spirit-empowered life, a spirit-filled life looks like. And I, it might even be for some of you new believers that as you're, you're hearing this preach and you're hearing the life we were meant to live, there's just a disconnect in you and you're not quite figuring out what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, I, I am very, very grateful for being able to grow up within Lakeview Christian Center, grateful for the Pentecostal roots of Lakeview Christian Center that I got to benefit from as a junior higher and a senior high youth. Because I remember times in services when the Spirit felt so thick, you'd never wanted to leave. And we've got to be careful. with we, we, we will pursue doctrinal clarity. We will pursue those things. We will pursue truth. But we, we can't let our zeal for that outsmart ourselves in the experience of the reality of truth in our everyday lives. So we will pursue truth, but it would figure if we're pursuing truth and, and wanting more of it, we should have the experience of that power in everyday life. But there seems to be this disconnect. And so when I ask for more of God, it's because there's something in my soul that I've experienced it before. And so, God, I want it more. But I have a concern for our, the kids of our church and that they hear us say that. But they don't have something to look or remember what it looks like. And new believers. You coming in, yeah, I just... People appreciate the church, but do they appreciate it because... And for right reasons. Again, we don't want to... We want to appreciate the whole work of God of bringing us together as a church. But do we have a component that's significant enough when people come into our meetings, they say, God was there. God, I just, and they can't describe it because we can't. And it's God. We got, and then we had the experience this morning. But you know what? I think it was just scratching the surface. We have more. He's infinite, y'all. We can't tap him out. He doesn't run dry. And he calls us to long for him all the more. I wonder, we, we need to be very careful in that we have a mental ascent of things. And I, I, my concern for the youth is that they're getting a mental ascent. Yes, I agree. And I even asked some of the youth on Wednesday night who were there at the meeting, what about you? When you hear us talk about there's more of a life to live and there's a life that we're meant to live, is that, how does that sit with you? And they pretty much said, you know, I, I know it in my head. But it just doesn't seem to be happening in my heart. There's, and I ask, is there that soul ache inside of you that says, God, I, I need more of you? And many of the kids said, no. I want it to be, but it's not there. And I wonder how many of us have been in church a long time and we've lost that soul ache. We've lost that deep yearning that says, God, I just want you. Well, that's why we turn to the New Testament. We look at the book of Acts to say, teach us, show us how you lived, show us. I, just in studying for this message, I wondered, as Paul wrote things to the churches, I wonder if he was looking back. Maybe not so much writing these things to, to, to the churches to say, look, uh, here's how you're supposed to live and here is how things are supposed to. Those took place. But I wonder if in Paul's mind, he's remembering what he saw in Jerusalem. He's remembering the church there and he's saying it shouldn't look like that. And he's, he's telling the Macedonians, when he's writing the Corinthians, he's telling the Macedonians who just gave out of their way. He saw something. He was able to tell the Corinthians, do like that. We need to be a church that's experiencing it in such a way that it's, it's in us. But how do we deal with this little 
disconnect. If you would turn up in Acts chapter 4. We'll take a little journey. Uh, this, really just, this is the passage that follows Matt's um, passage last week that he preached from. And the church gaining boldness and it being... Boldness being challenged. And then they're, they're there together. They're praying. The place was shaken. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And then we pick up in verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was... Also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your illumination. We need your understanding. Make this alive for us, God. Jesus, make this alive. Amen. What's the lead in to this passage? Here the church is experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit in ongoing measure. They, many of these guys were there the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in power. And then Peter gets up and preaches. And then uh, 3,000 of them are gathered into the church. And they're there and they're loving what's going on. And here in the end, right before in verse 31, they're filled with the Holy Spirit again and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. They're experiencing the grace and power and awesomeness of God in an ongoing measure. Their lives have, they're increasingly becoming more supernatural. And in the core of who they they are, we find out in these passages, the Holy Spirit is doing some amazing things in them and through their lives. They've seen something amazing. From the Spirit, and their lives are now responding. Today, I believe it's the Lord's heart that we, we would see Him in a greater way than we've ever imagined before. Seeing means sensing His love, seeing means seeing His sovereignty and understanding that a little more. And, and we're seeing with the eyes of our hearts, with faith, and God is exalted, and our lives respond. I think that's what we find in this passage. I think that's the Lord's heart for us today. And then we have the verse, verse 33, the end of verse 33. Great grace was upon them all. This word grace in the original language, which is Greece, is the word mega. It's mega grace. And it's also the same word that was with power. It's mega power was on the apostles and sharing the testimony, the resurrection. And mega grace was on their lives. Well, today we want to ask God for the mega sized life. God, I want to see it, and when I see it, I'm buying it, because I want that. And the greatest thing, Isaiah 55 says, come, all you who don't have any money, come buy and eat. Well, wait a minute, you said I don't have money, but I'm coming to buy and eat. It's already been purchased for you through Jesus. So let's come, let's order the mega-sized life. Hear the Holy Spirit say, would you like mega with that? Yes! Bring it on. Today we're going to look at three aspects of the mega-life. Mega unity, mega care, and just mega life in an ongoing way. The display of His power. We find that these believers have a great unity coming together. And I think we find three things. One, it says the full number of them. The full number of those who what? Believe. So you know what that tells us? There's a truth. The truth of the gospel is at the core of their unity. They're coming together. They've experienced this. Look, these guys have come from all over the place. We find in Acts chapter 2, they came from everywhere around Jerusalem. 
took them days to journey to get there, and they're celebrating the feast there. The Holy Spirit comes, they get saved, and then they're looking at one another going, what do we do? But they knew they came together because of the common experience of the gospel making them alive, reconciling them to God, forgiving their sins, and they're saying, yes, this, this is what we, we were meant to do. This is, we, though we are different people, we're coming together for the same truth. We are centered on the same truth. Here we have people with varying backgrounds, varying personalities, and varying baggage. We all know that. We all bring baggage to the church when we get saved. It's varying baggage. And they're all together. And they were unified with the gospel being the central truth. And the gospel was the gathering point of them being together. It was central. It's central. They're orbiting around it. They come from all around. Something supernatural has taken place. Now, think about unity, even in our context, because God has brought us different backgrounds, different, uh, perhaps a different city, different personalities, varying baggage that we all bring to the table. God's doing the very same thing that he did in chapter four of the book of Acts. How are we interacting with that? Now, look, these believers had great grace to accomplish this unity. So that's what we're looking for. But the supernatural aspect of taking people that are different Bringing them together and having them love and care for one another in such a way that demonstrates God's glory cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. Think if we all had the same personality. Think if you, if you use your own personality. Don't even just use somebody else. Because you use somebody else and go, oh, Lord, thank you that we don't have that person's personality all over the place in the church. Think about your own personality. Think about how things wouldn't get done and you'd forget everything in life if, if you just were filled with a church that just looked and acted like you. That'd be a boring place. Kent Hughes gives us some good thoughts. This does not mean these believers saw everything eye to eye. It's wrong to suppose, as sadly some do, that when believers dwell in unity, they will carry the same Bible, read the same books, promote the same styles, educate their children the same way, and have the same likes and dislikes, that they will become Christian clones. The fact is, the insistence that others be just like us is one of the most disunifying mindsets a church can have. The fact is, the insistence that others be just like us is one of the most disunifying mindsets the church can have because it instills a judgmental inflexibility that hurls people away from the church with lethal force. One of the wonders of Christ is that he honors our individually while he brings us into unity. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit brings them together around the same truth, around the truth of the gospel. And they come together and the Bible says they're of one heart. I believe this could kind of look like that you, you just have, uh, you have a settleness. I think the example would be, you know, when you find out that somebody else is a believer, there's this kind of, there's a connection that you feel. You feel an immediate connection. You might, hopefully, that you experience a greater connection with the people that you're in a covenant group with or the people that you're in church with than you do with even family members that are not believers. Because there should be a difference about how we're connected if we're connected because of the gospel. So we think about it and we look at the church and somebody, we even might find out that somebody, uh, whether it be you see them interviewed, whether it be an athlete or a politician or something like that, and you find out they're a believer, there's, there's a connection there. Somebody that maybe you went to high school with and, and they're a believer and all of a sudden I had a, just a, a glorious experience this past April of this year. There was a guy that I was on the baseball team with in high school. Uh, we had nearly every class together, it seemed, uh, from... Eighth grade on throughout senior year. We played ball together. We were good friends. We even lived together at LSU uh, while we were both there. Shared the gospel with this guy. I don't know how many times. And he would, he would listen, be interested. Never wanted to do anything. Invited him to church. Never wanted to come. But we were friends. Well, a few years ago, he emails me. He has graduated from LSU, moved out to Houston, lost contact with him. He emails me. He said, look, I had to, I had to contact you actually Googled me. <laughs> he said, you ought to do that. He said, There's a lot of Jeff Earhart's around. They don't look anything like you. <laughs> but he found it on the church website, emails me, and he says, look, I, I just wanted to tell you this, but a couple of years ago, I prayed to receive Christ. And I was sitting down, I worked with a junior high in my church, and I was writing down my testimony, and you're such an integral part of that testimony because of all the times you shared the gospel with me. 
that I thought of you again. And so I had to contact you to tell you that. So this April, he came in town. Finally, we were able to get together. It, I figured it was ten years since we had seen one another. And sitting there was so different. Because though we had this brotherhood thing happening with sports and baseball, we were truly soul brothers. And he, I said, you pray for this meal. (laughs) And he prayed, and with tears in my eyes, I said, what an honor to hear you pray. It was sweet fellowship. Different than we've ever, ever experienced in our friendship up to that point. And we, we did a lot of things together, but there was a connection. And when you find out that's one heart, and there's something that happens when we know we're walking together in a church, we're in a local context where we're of one heart, there's a connection there, there's a comfort with one another, all because of the gospel making us alive. It's feeling that special bond. These guys are feeling the special bond they've never felt before. They're sharing the same goal of following Jesus every day with their lives. We also find out not only of one heart, but they're also of one soul. Where, where I think this would speak more to a satisfaction. They all have come together and they've said, we have found the ultimate satisfaction, joy, delight, and pleasure that our lives could ever ask for. That we've been seeking for. We have found it. It's been fulfilled. And now we're together experiencing that same fulfillment. When you feel that, when you have that unique experience, that's why a youth camp for us is always this. It's, it's a unique experience that the youth have together that unifies them because God showed up and we were all together. And it was great. And so you just know, whether you talk about something else, you know you have that in your mind. You have, when God showed up, that was fun. But we want more and more and more. These guys are living with one another of one soul and they're also living toward one another. When we love Jesus with everything we are, the direct result is that we're going to love the people that he places around us. If we love Jesus with everything that we are, we're going to love. It's the, it's the next step. We're going to love the people that he places around us. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, you know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He said, but the second one, the second greatest is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, you're telling me as I'm loving you with everything I am, then this next step is to love people around me. Yes. And we find that happening in this passage where these guys, they, they are loving Jesus so much. They're central. They've got the, the gospel and truth is central to their lives. They're of one heart, one soul. They're after the same goal. They're yearning for the same things. And now the very direct result is care mega care is happening all around them. So they have a mega unity that leads to a mega care. They are meeting not just... We know there's a spiritual meeting of needs happening, but but we find the amazing thing is that they're meeting material needs of everybody that is around them. They, I think they had an understanding of ownership because we find in verse... 32. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. Now, they had, I'll just throw this in here. They had everything in common. I don't think that just means material things that we find. I think that means we have common experiences that bring us together, common gospel truth that we're rallying around, that we're looking toward and experiencing in our lives, and therefore we're meeting all the spiritual and, and material needs that are around us. But they knew something of ownership. These believers knew that everything comes from God. And it was God who gave it to them in in the first place. And it was God who gave his own son for their reconciliation. They also knew that God, God owns everything. Because it says even the things that belonged to them were not their own. There's something in there where they realized that God had lent it to them and gave it care for them. But... They're turning around with that and saying, God, this is yours for your purposes. The demonstration of this amazing care, mega care, is that some in the church, who were, there were some who were selling property and coming and giving, giving the proceeds to the apostles to distribute, for them to distribute for the needs of the poor people in their midst. They were caring for their friends who were a few weeks ago strangers to them. Now, let's, again, that's supernatural. 
Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can bring varying backgrounds and baggage and personalities together to unify with a mega unity. And all of a sudden, they're selling things and turning around and saying, here, uh, you guys, just as you see fit, go and give this out. Only the Holy Spirit can do something like that. And we're, we're introduced to a man nicknamed Barnabas, son of consolation, son of encouragement, from the island of Cyprus. Look, this guy is, he's not even from Jerusalem. He was one of those guys that came to visit. He's from Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean. He comes from an island, he gets saved there, and he stays. And then he goes off, sells a field, and comes back and brings the proceeds, lays it at the apostles' feet. But what stands foremost in Barnabas was that this man gave out of the willingness of his heart. He was not under compulsion or rule. Now that's contrasted with chapter 5 where we have Ananias and Sapphira come and, and they, their motive was tainted. Their motive was really, well, everybody else is doing this, so I guess I'll do it too, but let me keep a little bit for myself. The Holy Spirit, I think, made a point and said, no, 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 motive needs to be right. Very drastic example of that. But I think we need a, we need a motive check. Because as we, even as you're listening to these things, and as we read this passage there, I think there are two kinds of hearers that we typically have to something, to this passage, actually. You have the people who have a field, said field. They have a field, they've got some property, some uh, equity and something, whatnot, and they're listening to this going, okay, I'm a little concerned, a little worried. Uh, I know we're building a building, and oh, okay, what's Jeff's motive in this? Uh, uh, do I have to go sell this thing and uh, bring it? So, uh, uh, so it's kind of going back and forth. And you, then you have another kind of hearer, that the person who doesn't have a field. And that person is very zealous about everybody else selling their field because really they desire said field and they want them to go sell the field because they want the proceeds from that field. All too regular to say, I'm poor, I'm in need. <laughs> Maybe God isn't giving it to you because he knows you can't handle it. So we need, to, we need to be humble as we're approaching this passage, but understand the motive and the heart within the passage. Barnabas comes not under compulsion, not under rule, from the willingness of his own heart. And he says, look, and this is amazing because it's not just one guy, it's several of them. They're saying, we, we, want, we want to meet the needs. We want to care for the people that are around us. We want to demonstrate love. Barnabas was a flexible man. He gave up his land. He gave up his homeland. He, later on, he moves. He goes to search and find Saul, later Paul, the apostle. And he goes to find him when everybody else was scared to death of him because they didn't want to die. He goes to find Paul and then moves to Antioch and he's the son of encouragement with Paul at Antioch. This man, he's not holding on to things in such a way that's preventing the Holy Spirit's power from being evident. And that's where our motive needs to come in. Our motive needs to be tested. We also need to... We need a flexibility test. See, because Barnabas, we find that he's, he's flexible with the temporal, but probably these guys are very rigid with the eternal. But I think we, a lot of times, swap them. We are very flexible with the temporal. No, I'm sorry. We're very flexible with eternal, and we're very rigid with what's supposed to be flexible, stuff that's gonna, it's not going to last. It's not going to be with us in eternity. Think about these things. A lot of times we're flexible with truth, but we're very rigid with our opinions. We're more interested in what we think about something than what God says about it. This happens in counseling sessions that occur as you're on the phone with somebody, as you're in covenant group after covenant group, and you're giving somebody something, and you have no idea what the Bible says on that topic. You just have an opinion. Well, I'm flexible with what the Bible says, but I'm very rigid in my own opinion. We have to be very, very, very careful of that. We're flexible with hard work. We're very rigid with laziness. We usually say, I just, I just need a rest. No, what your heart is saying is, I deserve a rest. We, we are very flexible with humility, but we're very rigid with being right. When's the last time you told somebody you were sorry, repented of sin, humbled yourself to say, you know what? I always try to get the last word. I'm wrong. We're flexible. I'll be humble in this circumstance, but no, 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 no. I need to be right in this one. We'll learn a lesson, even as with a child. We are very flexible with humility toward our child when we want to get them to do what we want. But when we wrong them, we are very rigid in being right. Flexible with giving, perhaps. Rigid with savings. Got to save, got to have that just for the, the rainy day. 
flexible with serving and sacrifice, but very rigid with our own comfort and ease of life. And what, one of the very sad ones with the truth is a sad one, but flexible with, with forgiveness, but very, very rigid in our own grudges and bitterness. There's the people that you just, you never will forgive that person. Well, wait a minute. If we're asking for the Holy Spirit's power, and Jesus said, look, don't, don't think you can go to your brother and say, Raka, and then turn around and worship God with your hands up in the air. It ain't going to fly. God's not going to respond to that kind of thing. And then you get all frustrated because you're over here and you're saying, and Raka is basically death to you. And so you're over here and you want to worship God and you want to be all, okay, God, where are you? I just don't sense you. I don't feel you. I don't think that you're in my life. And, and uh, what's the deal? Well, maybe you're very, very rigid in a bitterness or an unforgiveness issue in your heart. And God's saying, I'm opposed to you. And so you can ask me all you want, but, but the motive of your heart is wrong. And we, like Ananias and Sapphira, we've got dead things happening all over our lives. Because the motive of our heart is tainted with our own pride and our own idolatry of how we want life on our terms. And we want relationships with others to be on our terms. We're going to dictate how it goes. We're going to have the last say. We're going to have the popular opinion. And it's, it's going to be the way we want it. But you might be the person that's very quiet in that, but your actions speak loudly. These two must be switched. In order for us to care effectively for one another, we must be holding fast to eternity and flexible with the temporal sins that so easily entangle us. And you know what? This can only come about through the Spirit's power. We need the Spirit's power. We need the Spirit's power and as, as it's happening, and I will forgot to mention this. I want, I want many of you to be very, very encouraged in terms of giving. Because as Peter mentioned earlier, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, you guys are rocking it out in giving sacrificially to this new building. And you know what? We, we don't, and we've not had to do this because of the graciousness and the motive of your heart saying, God, we want your glory to be displayed through our church. We have not had to come up here and beg you for money. Thank you. Thank you for making it, easy, making it very easy to pastor you in that. Because you're not, uh, we're not fighting you on this. You, you own the vision, you're running with it, and you're running well. So, my admonishment is, do some more and more. And don't grow weary in doing well. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep on going for the reward that's going to come. Maybe if the Lord wills that we see the reward of the salvation of souls that you're praying for as soon as we get in that building. But in heaven you'll know. God will remind you of the reward there. That's where the true reward's going to come from. But we have the Spirit's power for mega unity. We have the Spirit's power for mega care. We have the Spirit's power for mega life. This, is, this life is an ongoingness of the mega experience. But you know, as we think about this, we need to, I think, we need to recognize that if we're not experiencing the mega life, up to this point. We've got to be asking the questions, where am I flexible, where am I rigid? Because it points to the motive of our own hearts. Because if the motive of our own hearts is to love Jesus with everything that we are, we will love him with everything we are because the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do that too. And if it's the desire of our heart and, and we're, we're not holding on to sin and we're repenting of sin, we're saying, God, I want to see you. These things get in the way of our vision of God and our seeing God for who he is. And if we're not seeing God for who he is, then we're not going to be unified and we're not going to look to care for one another. But if we're seeing God in his grace and the, and, and the experience of the gospel making us alive, then you know what? This becomes a cycle. We, we love God. We love Jesus because we have Jesus' life. Life for life. Where we, we have wronged God and he's the one that's come and given his life so we could have his life. And not just a life to be moral. It's a life with resurrection power. You heard me now. It's a life with resurrection power. But so often we're holding on to the idols. We're holding on to the, the life the way we want it. And dead is occurring. Deadness is occurring in our lives. And we're not experiencing that life. So we turn around and we ask God, God, why? Why? I've prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they just, they just don't. One of the reasons might be 
Because, you know, I don't have all your heart, the Lord would say. I want all of your heart. There needs to be mega power for everyday life and everyday relationships happening in us. And I love the fact that the word for power there is the same word. And I think uh, Peter brought this out and Keith brought this out uh, before. This is the same power word that we get the word dynamite from. Now, this is mega dynamite. Now, it's not just something because it can be very, very easy to think, well, the big things and the big occurrences with God happen when I go to church or, or happen in the big places. And so we're looking for those things to happen. That's power outside of us. And that is the grace of God. But there's a power that's inside of us. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to enact and blow up inside of us and engage inside of us, ignite that inside of us to where the very pores of who we are. Power. Power like maybe we have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't, but I want it. I sure want it. I'm asking God this morning again, God, give me that power. Holy Spirit, fill me yet again. Oh God, we need your power. We have a resurrection power, a resurrection life that is for us. The question is, are we convinced of that, that it's for me? God's promise is that it is. There's an abundant life for us to live. And Keith said that a few weeks ago in his message, which opened this series. There's an abundant life. The enemy wants to steal it from you. Sin wants to rob you of that abundant life. And there's a mega-sized life that the Holy Spirit desires. God the Father desires. Jesus' death paid for it. God wants us. And, and, and it's, we, have to, we have to be able to see it with our eyes of faith. So we can be the aroma of Christ's life on this earth. So that when other people see it, they say, that's not natural. And we can say, you're exactly right. It's not natural. It's not natural to love people that are very, very, very different from me. It's not natural to give so much toward a building or give to Mercy Ministries or give to the needs of the church. It's not natural. Who gets the glory? Holy Spirit's power. I think it's a little cute thing for us to, to think about. But as we're, as we're thinking about the Spirit's power, and is it for us? I think we have a responsibility in that. We are to look, we are to listen, and we're to lean. Look, listen, lean. What do I mean by look? Look is about saying, you know what? We need to, we need to be looking for the Holy Spirit's power and, and, and looking for opportunities for its display. We need to be looking for the Spirit's power. We need to be engaging in that process. Because you know, I think, look, there, there are victories in our lives. There are conversations with people that have been sharing the gospel. There are things happening in our lives and we're not attributing those to the Holy Spirit because we're just not looking correctly. Amen. We've got to be able to look for it and, and identify that and say the Holy Spirit did that. The Holy Spirit did that. The Holy Spirit, and we're doing it with one another. And we're engaged with one another and we're recognizing the Holy Spirit did that in you. That's His power. So we're looking for it. We're looking for where the Spirit is. We're looking around. We're looking for opportunities for it. Every day starts out. You know what? That's what makes our days different. It makes our days different when we're getting up. And, and as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we're not, we're not listening to ourselves. We're talking to ourselves at that moment. When we're getting up in the morning and saying, God, who can I share the gospel with today? What, how, how can my family, my neighborhood just be a light in the midst of this darkness in this neighborhood? How can I go to work and be a light in the midst of darkness? And look, so many of you work in situations and in areas where it is darkness all around. And the world is shouting out, wanting to grab onto you. And there's temptation left and right every day. There's resurrection life for you to walk in to live in to where you can be in there and you just read the word and those things fall off of you there's an armor that we can have through the spirit but it starts when we're not holding on to life on our terms when we're saying Jesus you got everything and we're looking we're looking for how it's happening we're looking for opportunities for its display and the next thing we're doing is we're listening for the Holy Spirit We've got to listen. We have to look for him, but then we've got to listen for him. We've got to say, speak, Lord. I'm listening. What do, you, what do you want to drop in my heart for somebody? What do you want to drop in my heart to pray about right now? What do you want to drop in my heart about anything? We're listening. You know what? I think that's happening more than we think. Those of you who have may, maybe prayed for uh, a gift of a prophetic gifting or, or a word for words of exhortation or wisdom for people, that happens. You're praying for somebody and all of a sudden you get a sense and you say... I just feel like so-and-so needs to know this. That's the Holy Spirit. 
But we just say, ah, this is so weird. Because hey, I just sensed it. It, just, it was just popped in my head. I don't know where that can come from. We do know. And we have to be able to attribute it when it does happen. We need to be leaning in toward Him. We need to be looking for the Holy Spirit. We need to be listening for the Holy Spirit. We need to be leaning towards what He's going to do. You know, it's so easy for us. We just the admonition to pray for somebody. Am I supposed to pray for that person? Well, Lord, I'll just, I'll just you move me. The Lord's not moving me. As if you're going to walk away and your hand's going to go up. Oh, I guess I guess I need to pray for this. <laughs> Look, the Holy Spirit's looking for our cooperation. He's looking for us to be in the game as well. To be engaged, be looking for him, be listening for him so we can lean toward what he's doing. Look, and can I, can I encourage, oh, so many of you have over the years prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think but more specifically what you've prayed for is the gift of speaking in tongues that as the Holy Spirit gives you utterance. And can I, I, I don't know, I don't want to dissect things, but I want, to, I want you to have this encouragement. There, there, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit when he gives us a prayer language. And what a beautiful, beautiful gift it is. I so appreciate that gifting in my life. I love it. There is there's an edification that happens in my soul when I'm speaking in tongues that is lovely to my soul and to the Lord, I believe, because it's in Scripture. But look, it requires our cooperation. So if you feel the urge to say something, say it. You could be by yourself. If it sounds weird, then you go, that sounds really weird. It's just you and God. But lean forward toward it. Lean into it. God, give me something. I want to lean. I want to be looking. I want to be listening. I want to be leaning. Because look, when we have... When we have things happening and we're recognizing the Spirit's power, you know what it's going to do? It's going to breed faith. And it's going to breathe the Spirit's power on an ongoing basis. Because He's at work. And if the Holy Spirit is at work, as the Lord's promised He is, if He's at work, then guess what? He's going to continue to be at work and we need to recognize it. When we recognize it, all of a sudden something happens in our hearts and we say, God, you're all over the place. And all of a sudden I have faith in my heart to pray for somebody on the street. I have, I have faith in my heart to share the gospel with somebody at work. I have faith rising up in me to share with a family member that is just that family member. Oh, that we would experience the mega life and spirit giving birth to spirit. And it happens over and over and over again. And we're recognizing, we're looking for it, listening, leaning into it. And it happens. And we say, I was the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden we're looking again. Where are you, God? What are you doing? I know you're doing something. Get me on the same page with you. I'm very, very, very charismatic with my vehicles. I lay hands on them a lot. Just, Lord, keep these things well. Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't have the same experience of gift of healing with my appliances, though. Those are running out and having to buy new ones. But the cars, hey, I have this gift thing for cars. It's amazing. I can pray over a car. I've done that with Katie's car. I can't tell you how many times. I know it was my own vehicle because the, the check engine light came on. I said, oh, Lord, turn that thing off. But the next time I get in here, ne- I look, start it up next time, it's gone. It's happened three times. It's not on. Look, this is great. I got faith for this. I'm going to pray for you to come have a car ministry going. This is going to be great. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I went, yeah, for car sales, not a job, man. I'm going to pray for these cars. They're going to work. There. <laughs> But I, we, they, Katie's car is just falling apart, just left and right. And so I, that's the one, that's my recipient of my healing most of the time is Katie's car. But we had to put it in the shop because we didn't know I prayed and it didn't work. So we had to go put it in the shop. And I asked the Lord, Lord, I please ask you that the bill will be $25 to fix her car. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, this thing's skipping. And it's, I don't know what's going on with it. Jumping, the RPM gauge is bouncing all around and stuff. It's just, I don't possess or something. I don't know. So I go and it's there a few days and I'm thinking, oh man, he hadn't called me. Oh, that's not good. He, he knows um, he knows we've fixed this car too many times before. And, and so 
And the guy I bring it to is a believer and he's great. And so I just called him one day and said, hey, how are we looking? He says, well, I, it's, I don't really know what's wrong with it. I said, great. Don't you love to hear that? You love to hear mechanics say, I don't know what's wrong. You love to hear doctors say, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, you need to know. And so he said, you know, he said, I, I, it was doing exactly what you said. I went in and so I, I just fiddled with a few wires and it doesn't seem to be doing it right now. So I, I was keeping it another day so I could test drive it and then give it back to you. All right, but I really need it for the weekend. So can I come by tomorrow and get it? He said, yeah, just call me around lunch. I'll see if it's doing it. I'll test drive it a couple times before you come. And so I told him, I said, look, I said, Rick, I've been praying over that car. I've been laying my hands on it. If I had oil around, I would be anointing the thing. I am praying for that car. He laughed. He said, I understand. <laughs> he said, I understand. He said, sometimes I have to pray and ask the Lord what is wrong. And he shows me. He says, do it this time. But actually he did. So I go pick it up the next day. Katie's with me. He gives me the bill. Twenty-two bucks. <laughs> now, you know. That might, we could call that so, oh, I'm so, just, that's great. That's praise God, praise God. No, God, you answered a measly prayer, but it really was a big prayer. Because three days later, I was buying a dryer and using the money that I would have spent. But you know what that did for me? It built faith in me. And when we see the Spirit's power, it's going to breed faith for that to happen again. I've got, got to brag on Judy. Judy, can I brag on you? I'm going to brag on you. I'm so proud of you. This is so much fun to share this. Judy, as many of you know, her dad passed away a couple of weeks ago. And yesterday was a funeral. And we're sitting there. Uh, Peter conducted the funeral. And we're sitting there. And it was, again, she's got a, a huge family. And we're, nearly all of them are not saved. And so it was evangelistic. In its intent. And so Judy, there was, there was a portion for family remembrance. And she got up and she shared about how she had time with her dad a few weeks ago in the hospital to ask him, do you trust Jesus for your salvation? And they were able to talk about the gospel. And her dad said, yes, I, I do trust Jesus for salvation. And convinced her that this is, this is a salvation experience in this. And she got up and shared that in front of her ten brothers and sisters. Come to find out afterwards, she had read it a couple days before to a couple sisters and a sister-in-law, I believe. And they said, oh, Judy, it's good, but uh, leave the part about Jesus out. Spirit's power came upon Judy to where she didn't back down. And she said, Jesus, my daddy trusted Jesus. So I think she even said, and I'm going to say it. <laughs> Well, you know what? You know what that does for me? Because look, we all, yes, we all, all of us, all of us have those family members. I've got family members that have just told me, don't talk to me anymore. I need faith built in my own heart so I can go back to them and say, I'm not giving up. It's God I'm listening to, not man. Not to be ridiculous about it or stubborn about it, but to love in a way that gathers them into the Spirit's power. You know what? Spirit gives life, gives birth to Spirit. Eric, guys, you all come. We need to sense the soul ache that the Spirit gives in us to live the life we were meant to live. Do you sense that soul ache? Do you sense the mega-ness of God impacting your own heart. We're needing to cast down idols and the sin that so easily entangles us to free up our hearts and say, God, you got everything. And you know what we need to do? We need to live the mega life looking for the Holy Spirit at every turn. That's when we'll be a Pentecostal church. That's when we're going to be a charismatic church. You know what's going to happen? Worship's going to look different. Prayers are going to sound different. Prayer times at home are going to feel different. There's going to be a different feeling about us. Why? Because we're coming together. All of us have experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's our central truth in coming together. We are of one mind, are of, of one heart, one soul. And there's care going on. Now, if God needs to adjust those things, please, Lord, adjust those things. Adjust our understanding. Adjust our concepts of them. But, God, let us be leaning toward caring for people, leaning toward unity. But, Lord, make us flexible with things that, that are, are temporal. 
And make us rigid with the eternal truth of your gospel and your reconciliation and forgiveness that you've brought in our own lives. And may we have the display of your power in every area of our lives. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He learned from George Mueller in that he never asked people for money. He, he just would say, this is what we're doing. And people would give. And he would never, uh, he actually was with, uh, I believe it was Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, uh, and somebody else at some conference up in Chicago where D.L. Moody was. And D.L. Moody leaned over to him. Somebody else was preaching, I think, and he says, look, I, I think we need to take an offering. And Hudson Taylor says, well, I, we don't do it like that. We don't do that. And so Hudson Taylor just got up there and he just shared his heart. That's what he did. He shared his heart all the time. You know what? At the end of his life, his son wrote down three things that he found in his father's journal. He says, my father was convinced of three things. And here's where they were. Because he wrote them down. There is a living God. There is a living God. He's spoken to us by his word. The third thing, he means what he says. And he will accomplish all he has promised. That's spirit empowerment. We need that. We need to be convinced, God, you are living, you are alive, you are sovereign, you are looking to display your glory on this earth. And Lord, thank you for speaking to us in your word that we can know exact, we can know in the ballpark of how we're supposed to live. And God, by your Holy Spirit's power, cause it to take place. And God, you've promised it. You're going to do it. You mean what you say. Let's stand up. Can I point out the Holy Spirit to you? <laughs> All this week, I've been asking the Lord, just, and, and we, you've heard Peter share this before, when we preach, we want to share God's heart. We don't want this to be, we can fill up words, we can fill up time. We want this to be God's heart being communicated to us. So that's our main goal. And as, as I was preparing this, I was just thinking, God, how do you want to end this time? So I went to Eric yesterday and I said, I, maybe celebratory, you know? And he said, God is great. I said, yeah. You were like that. Let's do God is great. <laughs> and so even this morning, driving here, Lord, praying this morning, then driving here, Lord, how do you want us to end this? And here Peter says, maybe we should do this. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. But we're going to pray for flexibility. We're going to pray where there's been inflexibility, where there's been judgmentalism, where there's been all those kind of things. We're going to ask that you would humble yourself and receive ministry, one, from the Holy Spirit, from God himself, and receive ministry with one another. So I'm going to read through these little things again, what we're flexible and rigid with. Um, please lean forward. You know, as we've talked as pastors, we've, we've had a, a concern that we, probably too often as a church, are just sitting back lounging. But we need to be leaning forward, looking, listening. Are you flexible with the gospel truth and rigid about your opinions? Are you flexible with hard work and rigid with laziness? Are you flexible with humility? But you are rigid in your pride. Are you flexible in giving? But rigid with storing up for yourself. Are you flexible with serving and sacrificial lifestyle? And rigid with comfort and ease. Are you flexible with forgiveness? Oh, this, this is the one that aches me. If you are unforgiving towards somebody else, you are robbing them of experiencing an abundant life in Christ. Please do not be rigid with your bitterness and holding your grudges. Holy Spirit, we need you. 
God, we need you. God, we want to up our order today to the mega-sized life. Would we experience life with great grace and great power? Father, would you, by the grace of conviction, come to us and show us? Holy Spirit, we even need you to illuminate our minds to, to be convicted, illuminate our hearts and make our hearts active in seeking you. Where have we cherished our own idolatry? cherished our own pride and and not been surrendered to you. Not been able to be unified with those around us. Not, not been able to care effectively for one another. Holy Spirit, we need you. So I would ask, as if you're saying, you know, I need to repent for my inflexibility. And I need to surrender my heart to the Lord. In whatever area it be. And please don't restrict yourself to a list that I have. As you know the Holy Spirit and working in you, look for Him. Listen. Lean into Him. I'd ask that you humble yourself and come and receive the grace that God offers with humility. And also, if you would feel led to come pray, please do that. But also, those of you who are responding, thank you. Thank you for your humility. But this is between you and God. Allow the Lord to remind you see Him. See Him. See Him. Like Jacob wrestling with that angel God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me have that tenacity.
Boa cura.